morning we're going to be reading from 1 Corinthians 3, 4 through 15. Then we're going to skip down to verses 21 to 23. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not be being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellows workers you are God's field God's building according to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it let each one take care how he builds it for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid which is Jesus Christ now if anyone builds on that foundation with gold silver precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved but only as through fire. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God's. My TV person is back with the children, Pastor Doug. This was a challenging Sunday to try to figure out what to preach. What do you preach after the Sunday uh, where you announce that you feel like you've been called to a new place for a new time? Do you just ignore the elephant in the room <laughs> and kind of go on to something else? Um, I think it's probably best not to. Um, if you are worried that I'll address the elephant every week, I will not be doing that. So this week, and then I'm going to move on. Um, but I, I feel like I should do that. And then the question is, okay, how to do it or how to go about it, what text to use, where to preach from. And uh, I think Don did a good job last week of bringing up this text I think everybody should be familiar with in the church anyway. It's a letter from Paul to the Corinthian church. It's a letter from, or called 1 Corinthians. Paul is writing to this church that is just a mess, by the way. If you want to read about a really bad church, <laughs> open up your Bible to the book of Corinthians, both the first one and the second one, and you will be glad for your church. Paul in 
his letter, basically writes to these people that are morally and doctrinally just a mess. It's just a messy place. I'll give you some uh, examples. One would be just the sexual immorality that's going on in the church. Paul mentions a young man that is sleeping with his father's wife. That's how he phrases it. You can kind of figure out how that works or doesn't work yourself. Um, that's all the information we know. <laughs> but he talks about that in his letter. Not only that, but when the church gathers and when they gather not just out or when they gather even outside of a normal Sunday morning service or whenever they would have had services at that point, point in time, they are planning events where they are intentionally excluding the poor in their congregation and trying to keep them from participating. You get to the end of the letter and you discover that people in the church are denying what is foundational to our worship of Jesus Christ and the hope that we have in him, the resurrection. The church is denying the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. So those are just a few things that are going on in the church along with many others. And what's interesting is before Paul addresses any of that, he pens these words. And the reason that he's doing it is he's trying to kind of nip the bud of some things that are going on within the church. Because there are fractions and divisions happening within the church as well. And a lot of it is rooted in their primary devotion and allegiance to particular leaders. There are three leaders that are mentioned in this text. First is Paul himself, the writer. Paul, if you know anything about Paul, Paul was probably a short, bald man <laughs> with unimpressive looks. I'm not comparing myself to anybody in here, just so you know. <laughs> They're all different than I am, and even the situation is different to a certain extent. But Paul is a short, bald man with unimpressive looks, a very modest appearance if you read about him. He probably really wasn't that captivating as a speaker either. Or if he was, he often, what he often did is he just went for too long. Do you realize there is a, uh, a, a part of Acts that is devoted to one of Paul's sermons, and he goes so long, and he must have been boring enough that somebody fell asleep and they fell out the window. That's a true story. That is part of Paul's ministry. Now, what Paul lacked probably for in his looks and maybe even his ability to keep people's attention for a really long time was his zeal, was his commitment to the gospel, was his commitment to ministry. There wasn't anything that Paul wasn't willing to do to advance the ministry of Jesus Christ. He was beaten, he was shipwrecked, he was jailed, he was left for dead. Paul, more than anything, wanted the gospel to go forth. And to be honest, he knew the gospel probably better than anybody else, including the people that he even had been with Jesus. At least the records that we have from Paul, so much of the church and so much of what we believe is structured around the theology of Paul who interpreted Jesus in a particular way. And so you have this man who people have given their allegiance to. The second is a man named Apollos. Now, we don't have a ton of information about Apollos. 
He may or may not have written the book of Hebrews. We're not really sure. We don't really know who wrote that book. Some people believe Paul wrote it. Some people believe Apollos wrote it. Uh, The rest just say we have no idea, but it's a really good book. Everybody should read it. It's in the Bible. Apollos may have written that book, which is a very heavy and weighty book, theologically rich book. But the information we do have about Apollos basically kind of describes him as kind of the ultimate Bible teacher. This is how the Bible describes him. Eloquent, mighty in the scriptures, fervent in spirit, and instructed in the way of the Lord. The things that Paul probably lacked, looks, eloquence, the ability to hold people's attention, Apollos had, along with the mind that Paul had. And then there was Peter. Now Peter, in verse 22, is actually mentioned as Cephas. Cephas, but it is Peter. Peter, if you know anything about Peter, Peter was one of Jesus' best friends. So if you think about the three, the person who knew Jesus the best was Peter. You have to imagine when Peter walked into a room or walked into a church at the time and people saw Peter, they knew they were looking at a man who had been with Jesus. And that had to have been very impressive and have had to carry a lot of weight. Now, from what we can tell, Peter probably, if he was at the Corinthian church itself, probably wasn't there long. But we know his presence carried weight. As far as we can tell, Peter didn't spend a whole lot of time even in Rome. And yet he is considered the first pope of the Catholic church. So you have these three people that people are having trouble trying to figure out who they should follow, what they should do. Paul narrows in on two of them in the text that seemed to have had, had a more intimate relationship with the church, Paul himself and Apollos. You see, Paul was the planter of the church in Corinth. He was the first one to go in and be able to gather people and tell them about Jesus, and people decided to follow Jesus under Paul's ministry. When he got there, he was the one who began organizing the church and teaching them what to do when they meet, teaching them how to pray, who Jesus was, what Jesus said, what that means for them moving forward. Paul would have done this for a time before he had moved on. And then a person came behind him. They owed their existence to Paul, but then there's another teacher that came in behind him, and that is Apollos. Apollos likely taught things that Paul didn't. What you'll learn, I've never planted a church, but what you'll learn from church planners, and if you, as you watch church planners, a lot of times what they are doing is they are focusing on the basics. This is who Jesus is in a real simple way. And this is how we begin to follow him. This is how we can organize the church. And so Paul, or Apollos probably comes into a more organized situation and is able to teach them things that they didn't know. And in a way, that was probably in accordance with his charisma and character and ability. And so now what you have is you have people attached to two different leaders, Paul the planter and Apollos the charismatic leader himself. And Paul is writing to a church that begins to kind of split and fraction based on their devotion to a particular teacher. And Paul says this to him. I'm going to continue to break this down, what Brenda wrote earlier as we look at the text. He says, when someone says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not merely being human? And so what Paul reminds them of 
is that it's in our nature to attach ourselves or give ourselves to particular leaders. But that's often, if it stays there, and if it's rooted in that, what Paul is trying to get them to see is it ultimately will not be good for the church. And so he goes on and explains then what he and Apollos are. Verse 5, he says, What then is Apollos? What then is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one. So what Paul says about himself and Apollos is this, is that they are servants who belong to God. And they were assigned to them a special ministry for a special time in the church of Corinth. And both of their desires, both Paul and Apollos' desire for that time was the advancement of that church while they were in Corinth. And so what he wants them to know is that neither himself, the short bald man, or Apollos, the charismatic, good-looking Bible teacher, they're not friends, they're, ri- or they're not rivals, but they're friends who see themselves primarily as servants called by God to cooperate and not compete for the advancement of the church at different stages in its life. I hope in many ways that through my ministry here that I've modeled that. I know many of you who love, 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 love and cherish Pastor John Phillips who was here in the 90s. And, you know, a lot of people actually recommend that you're really careful about inviting back old pastors, ministers, and so forth because people get attached. And people will say, well, like he did it this way or she did it that way and now you're doing it this way. Personally, I think it can be bad if that pastor in bad faith comes back and, and tries to change everything or bad mouths the current pastor or whatever that might be. But I have always tried to see the former pastors, the former, former ministries here as friends, as co-workers in Christ, as people who have taken time to be your spiritual fathers, your shepherds, people who you have loved and people who have loved you. And so I've tried to honor those people because they are fellow servants with me. They are fellow workers. Apollos watered what Paul had planted. My ministry, I think, has largely been a watering ministry. It's hard to say that it hasn't to a certain extent when a church has been around for 125 years. To say that it's only a planting ministry, I think, would be kind of hubris and be wrong. When I look at many of you, I can almost say, every person that's here, that your faith had been planted by somebody else, whether it be parents who attended here or another pastor either here or another place, or whatever it might be. Yes, I've probably planted some seeds, but I know that God started in you what I've been able to pour into 
And I hope I've come here and kind of watered where you were at spiritually. We haven't done this in a while, but I think about three or four years ago, we did a survey. And in the survey, we just kind of asked, do you believe that you are growing spiritually? And I was really interested in how you would respond, how this church would respond at the time. And I I believe it was 93% of you commented back that at that time you were growing spiritually. Now, I don't know where you're at today, but I, I hope it is similar. But that has been the aim of our ministry, of my ministry here, is to water those seeds that were planted so that you could continue to grow and to bloom. But it is not lost on me what Paul has to say, is that all growth is not on my shoulders. I don't get the credit for any of that. God gets the credit. All growth in your life comes about because God wanted that. And because you participated with the work of God in your life. Picking up in verse 8. Here it says, and each will receive his wages according to his labor, for we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. Paul is going to go into and he's going to talk about the importance of leadership and laying a foundation and what needs to take place. And so it's not that pastors and leaders shouldn't be given some credit or credibility and often even criticized for the wrong that they do. But at the end of the day, What Paul wants us all to see is that we all belong to God. And to grow, you have to understand that first and foremost. And to belong to God is to be God's fellow workers. This is what Paul is saying to the church at this point. He's not just saying that Apollos is my favorite uh, fellow worker, but he's saying the church at large, everybody there in Corinth, everybody here are God's fellow workers. And what he's hoping will take place as he writes to the church is that they will see that it's their job, if they're they love Paul, or if they love Apollos, it's actually to become little Pauls and little Apolloses. It's to understand that you are to become servants. You are to become servants of God in your own way. And this is why I believe that all good pastors, all good shepherds, all good servants of God are going to call people to serve together. Their job is to move people from being consumers to being contributors to the kingdom of God and the church. And so I just hope over the next several months that you will see it as your role to to step up God's work in your life. To step up and maybe even contribute in new ways. Verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and somebody else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So what Paul is saying here is that his work is going to be tested. 
But not only is his work going to be tested, the church's work is being tested here. Because he came in and set up the church, the church began to work, Apollos came up and, and taught, and the church continued to be built. And so this church is continuing to be tested. And the test is not always easy. There are different challenges that come forth. I mean, he talks about this test being like a fire at times. It's going to be difficult. It's, it's going to be hard. And, and Paul is using this in relationship to leadership as well. And, and uh, I don't want to hide the fact that with a change of leadership comes a test. And it's a purity test. Paul is asking everybody there, what is your foundation built on? What is your faith built on? What is the church built on? And I think he's asking this question. If you're a disciple of myself or Apollos, I want to point out that our work is being tested right now to see if what we have done is worth anything. That's a really scary thing for a Bible teacher and a pastor to go somewhere and then leave and then look back and try to figure out, did it matter? Did what I did or say or helped build by God's grace, did it matter? Will it last? Will it thrive? And he says for it, for that to take place, it's dependent on one thing. It's dependent on their devotion to Jesus Christ. Are they rooted in the foundation that he hoped to leave? You see, people, programs, personalities, they all come and go. And Paul's hoping that the work done by the gospel servants is not there to be built on a particular person, program, or personality, but on Christ who always remains. And so he says the church is being put to the test. And what will be shown is who and what their faith is built on. Skip down to verse 21 here because... I think he shows us how to pass the test. In verse 21, he says this. Let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the word of life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ, and Christ is God's. He says, let no one boast in men. So what is Paul's point there? His point is simply this. Do not believe that you primarily belong to a particular teacher or pastor or leader, but you belong to the one that the teacher, the pastor, the leader belongs to. Says so you are God's just as they are. <laughs> you are Christ and Christ is God's. Like, that's, that's who you are. That's who you primarily belong to. That's where your identity lays. And that's what keeps the church on its foundation. Now, I do love this. I think this is very helpful for us all this morning. He wants us to focus both on the present and on the future. The God is in the present and he will be with us in the future. Now I realize that this morning as we think about the present, that I am telling you 
to not boast in any of your pastors <laughs> or your pastor up here. It's also Pastor Appreciation Month, by the way. <laughs> uh, right? It's not lost on me. Um, and I'm not looking for any appreciation this morning, just so you know. But, but one thing I really do believe, I strongly believe, is that you have some really good pastors here that are remaining. <laughs> I've had, I had somebody ask, so are Pastor Doug and Mindy going with you? And I said, yep, taking them with me. <laughs> and you saw their eyes get real big. I said, oh, no, I'm just joking. They will be here. And they're fantastic. They're great. That's the present. That's the present. Pastor Brandon is awesome. He's great. You have elders in this church that love and that care about you and that are really good leaders. They love Jesus. Their foundation is Christ. That's the leader that they are most devoted to. That is a wonderful thing to be a part of. It really is. You know, we are part of the Church of God movement. And I know some of you couldn't care less to be a part of a movement or a denomination. I get that. Fine with that. But one of the nice things about being part of a movement is I, I get to be in fellowship with other pastors. I get to see other churches. I get to travel around and, and look at different things that are going on. And we are in fellowship mostly kind of in Northeast Ohio because it's easiest to get to those people in those places. And I told our state minister this, who's going to be helping out with a number of different things. I said, if you were to take me around and allow me to have my pick of all the churches within our movement, in our district, I said, it would be Talmadge. It would be the church in Talmadge. This is a great place. This is a place that cares about the poor. I talked about the Corinthian church wanting to exclude the poor. You do not exclude anybody from being a part of our worship services, from being a part of fellowship. In fact, I see you reaching out to people on a pretty regular basis. We invest time and money into areas of our city that are without to make sure that people have food. You care about people. Our children. Our children's ministry has grown over the past several years. We had somebody here not just too long ago who was visiting and they were looking at all their children and they came up to me after the service and uh, I know where they're from and they said, you have so many more children than we have right now. I said, it's incredible. This was a church, by the way, where about 20 years ago they had to take two charter buses to go to a youth convention. That's something to give God thanks for. Think about the spiritual growth that's taking place. I don't know exactly where we're at right now. I haven't taken a survey. But when you have over 90% of the people in a particular place feel like they are growing closer to God. Right? It's not that we don't have our problems and that everybody feels like that all the time. Of course they don't. But that's not a bad place to be. We had a lady walk in this past week. She wants to use our facilities for a few things, and we were kind of talking about that and what that might look like. Um, and she walked down. She's having a conversation with Pastor Mindy and I, and she's looking around, and she attends somewhere else, but she's like, 
I would want to attend here if I came into this place. I can tell that you want new people in, in here because there's, there's signage everywhere. It tells me where everything's at. It's beautiful. It's, it's comfortable to sit here and to be with you guys because you've obviously done a lot to make this place like that in the setting. You have invested. You have invested to grow this church and expand the kingdom here. You should be proud of that. This past year with COVID and everything going on, it's been very difficult on churches. It's been very difficult. You've had to use technology a lot more than we have had in the past, and you needed to do it anyways prior to COVID or uh, even if this wouldn't have happened. Because it's an important thing. You all have invested in technology. We have a really good thing going here if you're watching this at home right now <laughs> or if you listen to this online. And that's not unimportant. We always talk about how important our welcome ministries are, our hospitality ministries as people come in the door, like how important those are. But do you realize the new front door of the church is, is not out there? It's there. People are watching us and listening to us before they ever walk in those doors. And you guys have realized that. And you've invested in that. And somebody's going to walk in, want to walk into the present and realize what we have here. Realize what you have. And so you should look for, forward to the future. Because here's what Paul says about the future. He says, not only is the present God's, but the future is also God's. And what is God's belongs to you. It's all yours. Now, I'll be truthful with you. The future scares me a little bit. Makes my hands sweat. Okay. I'm comfortable here. I love you all. And you all have done a really good job of loving myself and my family. And I care more than you know about what happens to this church. What happens to this body. Everything I just said, I believe. With all my heart. I had a nightmare the other night. <laughs> I left the search committee meeting. I just gave them some names. Hey, here's some ideas, stuff like that. Here's maybe how to go about it. And I left because it's not my place to be a part of that. And so they continued to meet. But I went home that night, laid down in bed, went to sleep. And I had a nightmare that the, the, the elders chose a bunch of people to be on that team that don't even attend church here. <laughs> I woke up in the middle of the night, and I just began praying for the church. Like, and I was actually angry at Don because I knew Don was kind of leading the process. And I had to realize that, wait a second, that didn't really happen. I don't need to be mad at Don. I don't even know. So I got up that morning, checked my email, hoping like the notes would be there from the following meeting. I was like, oh, thank God. They did a fantastic job. You know, as I pray and as I think about the future, uh, my comfort remains what it's always been. My comfort remains <laughs> in the same one who called me to ministry when I was a teenager and scared to death because I would have to leave my hometown, the same hometown where my grandfather grew up, where my dad grew up, where my grandfather played football, where I played football, where I had hoped one day that my kids would play football and realize that God may call me away from that. 
to be able to go pastor and shepherd and do what God had called me to do with my life. And as I've looked back on my life, my time here and everywhere else I've been, God has been with me. And God has been faithful. Because the future belongs to God. And whatever belongs to God belongs to you. God is going to be faithful to you. And he's been faithful to this church in the past. In the past and he's going to be faithful in the future. I think about our past here. We have had some really good pastors here. F.G. Smith, who was here in the 40s, do you realize like pastors in our movement read about him? We don't have a lot of, I'll be honest, like our, our movement is not a doctrinally heavily movement. Like it's not, a, it's not a movement where people come to to lift themselves up as far as doctrine is concerned. We didn't add a lot in that area throughout our history. We have contributed to it, don't get me wrong. But one of the people that we read to understand kind of where the movement went, one of the leaders was F.G. Smith, the pastor of this church at the time. Really wonderful thing. Your interim, by the way, that you've had in the past and you're about ready to get to have, Dr. Jeff Freiemeyer, he is not a small name in our movement. The man can preach. He teaches preaching. I mean, <laughs> he's pretty good. <laughs> he's real good. And he's a leader. People call him to preach camp meetings, to preach revivals. It's a blessing to have that. You know how many churches around the country are able to do that and able to pull that off? Not very many. Not very many. God will be with you in the future because you belong to God. And Paul is reminding the church there in Corinth of whose they are because, they, because he hopes they will place their hope in the proper place. And so I hope everybody this morning will just take his words to heart and place their trust in Jesus Christ. I want to end here with the words from the prophet Jeremiah. And he says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Let us pray. Father, we give you praise and thanks this morning. Because of our leader, Jesus Christ. We know through the power of the resurrection that these words that Jeremiah spoke that you have plans to prosper us and not to harm us and to give us a hope and a future are true. And we give you thanks for that. Father, this morning, I simply, believe, or I simply pray that we believe that. In Christ's name, amen.